It's time for the January 6, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on the first full moon of the new year from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI-FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And, as always... Because he has nothing better to do, Mahler, the fake news dog. There he is. Rough, rough to you, Mahler. Rough. Mm-hmm. But uh, today, mm-hmm. besides Mahler, we'll be talking about hurricane birds, <laughs> abortion pills, walking bacteria, melted butter, and a whole lot of other stuff. But first... Mm-hmm. Do you like birds? I do. A lot? I mean, are they like high on your list of my favorite things? You know, over the years, I've become much more attracted, mm-hmm. concerned about birds than I ever was as a younger adult. Do you ever have them hop on your arm or anything? No, but I've talked about this before. We have crows, crows that land on my dad's yeah. fence every morning and they kind of hang around. And What about seagulls? You like them? You know, I know people have problems with seagulls because they're they poop. Yeah, they you know, do. They do. I mean, yeah. well, oh, yeah, of course they poop. But I mean, they they tend to be sort of strategic about it. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind seagulls. I'm fine with them. No. You have a favorite bird? I have a favorite bird. That's a good question. Well, somewhat you because like of you, because somewhat because of you. Yeah. I'm now very enamored with the the uh, blackbird, the crow, the yeah. yeah. They seem to be paying attention to things. Yes, they do. Yeah. They really have a network that hangs around the neighborhood in which I live. They really do. There's a lot of them, and they tend to be very habitual. They follow you. They watch you. They're very, it's very interesting to, to be around them. Have you ever seen a bar-tailed godwit? <laughs> you have no, no idea. I I don't think I have. What well, is that? Bar-tailed godwit. Godwit. Mm-hmm. As if God had wit. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think he does. I mean, you know, I mean, if he does, it's kind of a sick wit. It, yeah. Yeah. Don't you think? Or she. She. Um, Maybe it yeah, is a she. Yeah. It manifests she itself is, or, in knows? interesting ways, yeah. It's a, yeah. a non-binary god yes. wit. Wit. <laughs> uh, bar-tailed godwit is a large and migratory bird, mm-hmm. a wader. Not like you when you go in a restaurant, but it would go down to the shore mm. and wade in waters, oh, okay. marshlands okay. usually. Wade. Who feeds on bristle worms and shellfish on coastal mudflats and estuaries. Bard-tailed godwits have distinctive red breeding plumage, long legs, and a long upturned bill. Mm. They breed on Arctic coast and tundra from Scandinavia to Alaska. Oh. And over winter on coast in temperate and tropical regions of Australia and New Zealand. Hmm. So they're saying, how do they get there? Are they cruising? <laughs> Going on one of those ocean cruise lines. <laughs> but from United Press International, they're saying a bar-tailed godwit broke a Guinness World Record when it flew nonstop from Alaska to the state of Tasmania in Australia. Wow, that is... That's Australia. Yeah. A total of 8,430. 35 miles, nonstop. Now, they happen to be tracking this particular bird? Okay. Guinness World Records said the bird known by tag 234684. Okay. Okay. They should give him a name. Yeah. Something. You know, P-22. Why don't they get a guy a name? Yeah. 
Although I guess I don't we'll know numbers. Him, call him Lindbergh. Lindbergh. Yeah. This guy Lindbergh. Yeah. Lindbergh was wearing a 5G satellite transmitter when it departed Alaska and landed in Tasmania 11 days later. Wow. I can't imagine picking my nose for 11 a day, <laughs> let alone flapping my arms that long. They did that without stopping a single time for food or rest. Yeah. They must have been plucking stuff out of the air. They must have been catching some trade winds along the way. There must have been some... You're, you're saying this, this guy's a slacker? No, I'm not saying this is a slacker. Oh, not to go 8,000 miles. Nobody's a slacker. I'm just saying yeah. he got to have some help here. What do you mean help? What well, if, from the winds, I would imagine. What if it's headwinds? Well, that could what if he's well, flying yeah. into headwinds? Then he is he yeah. is the Muhammad Ali of Godwin, Godwit, whatever. Yeah, Godwits. Yeah, Godwits. The record was previously set in 2020 by another bar-tailed Godwit. Okay. Yeah. This year's Godwit broke the record by 217 miles. Eric Wohler of BirdLife Tasmania. Yeah, said the record-breaking bird probably lost half or more of its body weight during continuous day and night flight. That's amazing. If a godwit lands on water, it's dead. Oh. Yeah. It doesn't have the webbing in its feet. It has no way of taking off. Oh, my goodness. So if it falls into the ocean's surface from exhaustion or if bad weather forces it to land, that's the end of the godwit. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Pretty exciting stuff, That huh? is fantastic, actually. Yes, it is. Well, how about some more birds? Okay. Did you ever see a streaked shearwater? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're learning about birds. Yeah, here. this is good news. Good stuff. Um, this... I have, again, I will plead ignorance on this. I, yeah. I don't know. Not the I don't know thing. if I have. Okay. The streaked shearwater is a seabird that feeds mainly on fish and squid. It follows fishing boats, and it's attracted to anchovy crawls off Japan. So chances are we haven't seen one of these guys. From Scientific American, they're telling us that when hurricanes strike, most birds either evacuate or take shelter. We know that, because hurricanes can kill a lot of birds. But after analyzing wind data and GPS tracking information from 75 streaked shearwaters... British and Japanese researchers found that the seabirds sometimes navigate toward the center of hurricanes, the center of hurricanes, and remain there, tailing the eye of the hurricane for up to eight hours. For some reason, they don't like to be blown ashore, (laughs) where they might crash or get eaten, or both. Despite weighing only as much as a pint of milk, that's about a pound. Okay. So they weigh a pound. Streak shearwaters have an, a built-in ability to cope with hurricanes. I guess so. The strongest storms in the whole wide world. While it's... other birds must flee the scene or risk drowning. Yeah. They're flying in the center of the hurricane. So, in case somebody doesn't know, in the eye of the hurricane, it's relatively calm. Yeah. They're yeah. not spinning around yeah. like a washing machine <laughs> or something like that. They're just, they're in still, uh, still areas yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But they had to get there. They had to find their way in. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's it for the birds. You know, my appreciation of birds has grown tremendously just in the last five minutes. So thank you for that. You're welcome. If this news makes you want to fly nonstop from Alaska to Tasmania, may I recommend a donation to KUCI instead? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio, KUCI. 88.9 FM.
Okay, let's move. Let's move from uh, birds. How about bison? Love bison. You love them? Oh, I love them. You Absolutely. Ever, you ever see one of those guys? Yeah. Well, not too terribly long ago, yeah. right down MacArthur Boulevard, there was an area where bison used to hang out. Now yeah. it's now it's all developed. Yeah, and they moved them over to uh, Catalina. Oh, is that what happened to them? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, they had some at Catalina at that time anyway. Okay. In fact, I believe they were all part of this uh, place called Buffalo Ranch mm-hmm. here in Irvine. Mm-hmm. It was like a tourist attraction during the, the 50s, mm. but they got rid of that. And besides, they mislamed the, buff- the uh, bison. They called them buffalo. Okay. That's what... Every, all those buffalo where the buffalo roam, mm-hmm. that's BS. Those are bison. <laughs> that's where the bison roam. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> the, the buffaloes are from Asia and Africa. Oh. Yeah. Okay. They're a whole different animal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. You got your water buffalo. Yeah. You got your, yeah, that's in Asia, and you got your Cape buffalo in Africa. Yeah. yeah, don't have any bison running around there. Okay. And likewise, we don't have any buffalo. So uh, uh, home, home in the range. Right, right. So, by the way, for no one listening is old enough to remember this, there used to be a buffalo on a nickel, a, yeah. a, a portrait. It was a bison, uh, bison on a nickel. It was, I was going to say. It was you, the bison that's, nickel. That's what you uh, But everybody called it the buffalo yeah, nickel. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going. Yeah. 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 Just for what it's worth, bisons have large humps on their shoulders and bigger heads. Yeah. They also have beards. Bison do. Mm-hmm. Thick coats and shed uh, their hair in the spring and summer. Uh, buffalo's horns are usually lo- larger, too, mm-hmm. for what it's worth. And... I actually saw something on television last night, believe it or not. I'm not, this is not made up. You watch TV. I watch a little bit wow. of TV in one of these home improvement shows. This, there's a show about this guy who goes around restoring old buildings, and he ended up on a farm, and the way that they feed the these particular bison... Yeah. Is and I'm sure they don't do this all the time. It's for the cameras or whatever. They put a carrot in their mouth. The men do, or the people feeding the bison, and then they stick their face right up against the bison, and the bison takes the carrot out of their mouth. I happen they have to, see to do one. that for the whole meal. I this. I'm sure it was one of those things that they just do every. They once were just in a showing while. you how friendly and, exactly. and nice and yeah, kind the ex- bison are. That's exactly what they were doing. Well, from the Guardian, mm-hmm. they're telling us that 13 bison died as a result of a road crash in the dark on a Montana highway mm-hmm. near Yellowstone National Park. I heard about this. Yeah. The gory scene occurred amid a severe winter storm that swept across the nation earlier this week. The Montana wildlife advocacy group, the Buffalo Field Campaign, said the victims were mothers and their yearlings and called for lower speed limits in the area where some boneheaded big rig drivers Barrel down that portion of Highway 191 where bison vehicle collisions are inevitable. <sighs> Can you imagine doing that and no, then just no. driving on? Because as far as I know, they don't have any driver. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I, <clears throat> I, I, I uh, didn't one, mention anybody. Yeah, you know, maybe they're keeping it quiet. But. One sad fact about bison in this country, they used to be in the millions and yeah. millions of bison. Yeah. Until about the right around the end of, of the Civil War. The United States wanted to expand into Indian territory, what's called Indian territory. Yeah, and another so, thing we misnamed. And so in order to rid the, the, that part of the country of the indigenous people, we didn't shoot them, we shot the bison, Yeah, which they, they were dependent upon for their survival. Yeah. And as a result, millions of indigenous people died. Right. In the, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, just in defense of people misnaming things. Yes. They weren't here to name things. 
Mm-hmm. They were here to grab property. Mm-hmm. They were, so, yeah, they were looking for, they were sil- looking for silk for and the good gold. life. Yeah, yeah, for gold and silk and myrrh and frankincense. And so if they saw a big brown beast out there, they'd yeah. go, well. Mm-hmm. It looks like, yeah. let's call it a buffalo. <sighs> From the New York Times, Massachusetts wants to clean up uh, its antiquated septic system, but it could cost billions. An algal explosion fueled by warming waters from the climate crisis is combining with rising levels of nitrogen that come from the antiquated septic systems that most of Cape Cod still uses. We're talking, uh, you know, septic tanks, Mm -hmm. people that aren't connected to the sewer system here. Mm -hmm. A population boom over the past half century has meant more human waste flushed into toilets, which finds its way into waterways. Mm -hmm. More human waste also means more phosphorus entering the Cape's freshwater ponds, where it feeds cyanobacteria, commonly known as blue-green algae, which can cause vomiting, diarrhea, and liver damage, and all sorts of other unpleasant things like, um, well, I don't want to say it, but Mm -hmm. killing dogs. Mm. Yeah, that's right, Mother. Yeah, he feels bad about that. Yeah. They killed a lot of stuff. In response, after several lawsuits filed by environmentalists, Massachusetts has proposed requiring Cape communities to fix the problem within 20 years by upgrading the septic tanks used by homes that aren't connected to the city sewer system and by building new networks of public sewer lines. Local officials say the plan would run into the billions of dollars and push housing costs beyond the means of many residents. You can imagine, you've lived there for like ever, Next thing you know, you're getting this steep bill because you have to completely redo your septic system. For all its glittering wealth along the shore, median household income on the Cape is $82,000, lower than the state average. Meanwhile, the average August water temperature in Papanasset Bay, right there in Cape Cod, jumped from 68.2 degrees Fahrenheit in 2007, this is in August, 68.2 in 2007, to 76 degrees this year. Oh, my goodness. That's one of the reasons, because of climate change, that we're getting this rise in the uh, algae. Well, we got to do something to mitigate all of those things, and that's where those infrastructure projects become very, very important. Exactly. We we need more and more of those, and yeah. Yeah, speaking of that. Yeah. From reasons to be cheerful. (laughs) Okay. Urban foresters see the infusion of $1.5 billion from the Inflation Reduction Act to increase tree canopies as a once-in-a-career opportunity. Excellent. I'll say. As climate change brings heat waves and heavy storms, urban forests and tree-lined streets can provide cool shade and flood protection if they're planted the right way. Harrisonburg, Virginia, and Seattle, Washington are already planting trees that will tolerate the high temperatures of the near future. It's mm. a good deal. Yeah. The state of Texas hybridized nine new tree species adaptable to extreme weather. I don't know what that means. Hybridized? Well, Did I they... made that word up. They, so they basically... I thought it sounded better than they, they said the state of Texas created. Oh. And I'm thinking... They really didn't create any trees here. <laughs> the trees kind of created themselves. Okay. And I'm figuring what the writer was trying to say is they've mixed them together gotcha. and they, they made hybrids, hybrids. of trees. Yeah, they took the yeah. positive points of one tree and created, I guess, another tree from two other trees okay. or how many. 
Anyway, the state of Texas hybridized nine new tree species adaptable to extreme weather, and a Chicago-area initiative is ensuring that nurseries will have the sapling supply and local governments they need. Excellent. Trees are vitally important to our future. Yeah, and it's good to see the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah. It's, things are happening now. This is good. That's what happens when you have government that governs huh? effectively. From the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign College of Liberal Arts and Sciences newsletter. Wow. That's I wonder lot. if that fits on the masthead. <laughs> An almost limitless supply of fresh water exists in the form of water vapor above the Earth's oceans, yet remains untapped. Limitless. Limitless. Well, you got an ocean full. Yeah, you do. And you got yeah, yeah. water vapor going up there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's limitless, but it's well, there's a lot. I got it. Now, a new study from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign is looking for a new infrastructure capable of harvesting oceanic water vapor that would be unsalted water, of course, as a solution to limited supplies of fresh water in locations around the world, including here in Southern California. Mm -hmm. The researchers performed atmospheric and economic analysis of the placement of hypothetical offshore structures 210 meters in width, and 100 meters in height, and concluded that capturing moisture over ocean surfaces is feasible for many water-stressed regions. Okay. You know, I hope this is not one of those technologies that sounds good, and then... Yeah, you'll find out. Exactly. That's what I was thinking, too. Well, it's just, there's people working on things, besides just the desalinization. And they were comparing it to desalinization and saying, you know, that's not the right technology because it leaves a lot of crap behind. Brine and stuff, yeah, that they can't get rid of. And meanwhile, too, I just noticed in the Los Angeles Times today, they did a feature story on how much runoff we have here in Los Angeles. Most of all this stormwater, we're saying, oh, the drought may be over. Well, no. First of all, we're in aridification. We're not in a drought. Mm-hmm. Second of all, we've got all this water coming down that we're just letting flow into the ocean exactly. and we're losing it. Exactly. We've got to do more to capture the, the gift we've been given. One of the things I learned during my period of working at uh, Public Works in Los Angeles was that we have paved over all of the areas, or a lot of the areas, in which water used to hit the ground and seep down into our aquifers. And that's no longer the case because we now have a wonderful drainage system, but it all empties out into a flood control channel that takes all of this water out to the ocean. So we've got to figure out ways in which to be smart about this and and let the water hit the ground and percolate down into our aquifers. Yeah. And that's that's and that's easy to do. You just have to have the will to do it. To break up concrete isn't a big expense. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. So what do you think of polling, Mike? Polling? Polling, you know. In not, general, not, you mean the effectiveness, the efficaciousness of it? Just in, in general, polling. Oh, well, I... Um, I mean, you like to speculate. I do. And this is kind of... It's, it's, it's like a drug for speculators, yeah, yeah, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, I, I've, I've been on a speculation bender for about 20 years, and I'm done. Yeah. I'm kind of over it. Oh, good. But uh, I would say... Now, yeah, Speculators Anonymous, you can go I, there. I, I think I'm, I'm a good act. candidate for it. 
My name is Mike Casper, and I like and I to speculate. speculate. Yeah, exactly. And I, but I'm, at, I am over it, and I think that people have figured out how to uh, lie to pollsters, and people yeah. who pick up the phone to talk to pollsters are not a representative. Well, the pollsters themselves craft their questions yeah, right. to satisfy the people who are giving them money to take the poll. Exactly right. Oh. From our good friend Charles P. Pierce oh, at I Esquire Charlie. Magazine. Charlie. Yeah, Charlie's a good guy. Yeah. Election polls that are feeding horse race coverage can be gamed, just like horse racing. Okay? Mm-hmm. The polling industry has fallen far behind scam technology. Last year, pollsters said a Republican red wave election was about to hit the country with hurricane force. <laughs> but what happened was Democrats in each of those states went on to win their Senate races. The misleading polls of 2022 did not just needlessly spook some worried candidates into spending more money. Sometimes I think that's the purpose of them, too. Mm-hmm. And then they might have needed to even win. Mm -hmm. It's just driving more money into the coffers of very people who are giving the polls. Uh, They also lead some candidates in both parties who had a fighting chance of winning to lose out on money that could have made it possible for them to win. Amen. Yeah. To that. Because the folks controlling the purse strings believe polls uh, that inaccurately indicated they have no chance at all. A couple of examples. In Wisconsin was a really good candidate that the the Democrats had. It was a lieutenant governor, Mandela Barnes. And in North Carolina, Sherry Beasley, a woman who was running, really good candidate, didn't get any money from the DNC. It's past time to realize that polling is now as much a vehicle for screwing with an election as it is a disinterested analytic tool. Mm -hmm. In fact, I don't know if it ever was a disinterested analytic tool. Maybe some polls are, but I don't think political polls get there. Well, polls, if the very beginning of a campaign, if you come out with a poll that says you're the front runner, you'll get a lot of money. Uh-huh. Whether I or not you that. are, whether or not you are the front runner, whether or not yeah. any of that stuff is true, you can manipulate the polls and just as you're describing it. Well, polling averages are not measured by much of anything at all, let alone an indicator of what may happen in an election three months away. Mm-hmm. The reliance on polling averages leads inevitably to the horse race political coverage that everyone deplores, but nobody can seem to quit. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't like, too, the other side of this is the horse race coverage. Yep. So that every day becomes some sort of who's ahead, Yep. rather than just paying attention to what their policies are and whether they're helpful for the community. Mm-hmm. Here's yep. another nice uh, source. Mm -hmm. I tapped into infection control today. We had Tasmania today earlier. We mentioned that. (laughs) That's true. And now it's infection control today. Mm -hmm. It's not yesterday. (laughs) This is up-to-date infection news. Uh They say the COVID Omicron XBB.1.5 variant has nearly doubled in prevalence over the past week and now represents about 41% of new cases in the U.S., XBB.1.5 is highly immune evasive and appears to bind better to cells that other members of the XBB Omicron subvariant family does. So it's it's a dangerous one out there. Yeah, that's Scientists at Columbia University have warned that the rise of these subvariants could result in a surge of breakthrough infections as well as reinfections. You can already see it in the in the graphs and the polls of, yep. of 
how many cases there are, right. how many hospitalizations, and how many deaths are taking place. If there's a bump in all those yep. in the country. The scientists described the resistance of the XBB subvariants to antibodies from vaccination and infection as alarming. Yep. It really emphasizes the need to get a booster, particularly into populations to that are at risk to provide continued protection from severe disease with these new variants. <coughs> from Forbes. The Biden administration took steps to make abortion pills at least as accessible as erection dysfunction pills. Well, good on them. This week, the Food and Drug Administration made a small legal change in its classification of the drug mufepristone, and the Department of Justice confirmed that the drug can be sent through the mail. Mufepristone is a drug that can be used for the treatment of high blood sugar, but it can also be used as off-label to inhibit the hormone progesterone, which is necessary for maintaining pregnancies. Along with another drug, misoprostol, which causes contractions, which causes contradictions. You take that drug and you contradict yourself. <laughs> <sighs> I, think, I think it's popular among Republicans. <laughs> Along with another drug, misoprostol, which causes contractions, it can be used to medically induce abortions. The mufepristone misoprostol combination is already used in over half of abortions performed in the United States, with demand only increasing since the Supreme Court adopted Christian fundamentalist witchcraft and revoked the right to abortion last June. Hopefully it's, it's not a perfect solution to women who are seeking health care for their own purposes, for their own reasons. And you can be absolutely dead sure that in this Republican House of Representatives, they will be passing legislation to stop that from happening, what you just described in that story. They will, they will do everything in their power. It'll never get through the Senate. It'll never be signed by, by Biden, but they will try. From the New Republic, a group of psychedelic trippers, or so-called psychonauts, you perked up when I said that, <laughs> psychedelic <laughs> trippers, are exploring new frontiers in hallucinogenic research, preparing to use a technology called extended-state DMT. That would be N-dimethyltryptamine, or DMT. DMT, okay. M-dimethyltryptamine is smoked, and a trip lasts minutes, despite feeling much longer. But with a constant stream of DMT supplied to a user and blood serum levels of the molecule regulated, the trip can last hours or even days. Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. That's what I thought. I don't know if I want days. No. <laughs> what are you doing this week? Oh, uh, you know. I'm tripped to whatever you, what you said. Yeah, yeah, let's call it DMT. Yeah. Which is seemingly an eternity if you're tripping for a week. <laughs> what? An intriguing aspect of DMT experiences is a degree of similarity. This is the intriguing part. The landscape and beings can be recognizable to different users. A mechanical elf is a popular recurring visitor on your trip. Now, I think this is just, you know, suggestive, maybe. Oh, mm -hmm. Did you see a mechanical elf? <laughs> it's like polling, you know. <laughs> and the trip seemed more real than real. That's another thing they say, <laughs> a quote often heard with DMT experimenting circles. Advocates of extended state programs, that would be 
extended psychedelic state programs, want to know whether these experiences illuminate a corner, new corner of the mind, even another dimension. Even another dimension. Yeah. Or whether users are just getting really high. <laughs> While the whole idea of studying extended trips may seem kooky to Mahler, there can be real scientific benefit to extended state experiments. Okay, let's hear about them. Yeah. DMT is produced endogenously in mammals. What does that mean? It means we make them ourselves. Our brains make the molecule. So DMT is already in us. Okay. Like cannabinoids. Yeah. But we have much lower tolerance to DMT compared to other psychedelics like LSD. How or whether DMT fits into our natural physiology is an open question. Researchers want to know if you have a DMT neurotransmitter system. You might have one up there. So it affects people differently yeah. depending on the health of your system. It's like with serotonin and dopamine. Yeah. And whether you, your tolerance or lack of tolerance plays a role in naturally occurring psychosis, such as schizophrenia. Okay? So DMT might help with schizophrenia. Currently, psilocybin and magic mushrooms are the only approved drugs, so DMT is not. They call it natural medicine, by the way, in Colorado, where many of these psychonauts live. <laughs> Colorado's Proposition 122 allows for the use and sharing of ibogaine, mescaline, and DMT, and established a process, Proposition 122 did, for the state to opt to reclassify DMT as a natural medicine by 2026, enabling licensed facilitators. There you go. This is the other this is uh, possibly a good thing. You can't do it without a licensed facilitator, right? Well, hopefully they're licensed. There's yeah. a lot of uh, yeah, yeah. unlicensed facilitators out there too. Yeah. But you have a facilitator to guide patients in its use. I was a facilitator back in the 1960s, <laughs> but I wasn't licensed. <laughs> Although I thought I was pretty good. <laughs> well, I bet you were. Yeah. I bet you were. I I, I stayed straight. Yeah. yeah. Did you? Most of the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a multi-hour intravenous infusion is not out of the ordinary, especially using fast-acting drugs, and could be performed safely in the presence of professionals monitoring vitals. I mean, you'd have to be fairly out of it to not notice that someone was monitoring your heart rate and all that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think what they're talking about is a state where you're just a blob. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I like I like interaction. Yeah. Yeah, me too. The global psychedelic drug market may reach over six billion dollars by twenty twenty six. Get in early. Yeah. Yeah. Doubling in size from yeah. where it is right yeah. now. Yeah. The largest share of that business will go to treating depression. Post traumatic stress disorder, uh -huh. depression, all suicidal tendencies, people predisposed to suicide. All a lot of those things are going to be great. Inevitably, there will be the black market and some bad stuff will happen along the way. So be ready. Just like what happened in California with uh, with cannabis. Yeah. You know, they really mucked that up. They had... I know you say that, but, you know, I, I think the Times has gone over. L.A. Times has done a whole series of stories on this. I don't know if they mucked it up. It's new. That's the way things work. Yeah. Do people really think... That you okay. come up with a brand new system and everything works perfectly, and okay. then you walk away to the next one? Is that the way well, they think okay. life I, is? That, that's, that's fair. Have you I, ever I, tried I, to improve yourself, Mike? That's a good question. And how many times did you trip and fall on your way to improvement? Right. But the, but, I can speak personally. That happened thousands of times with me, and I'm still tripping and falling. Okay. 
uh, let me bring up the specific thing that I'm talking about. Okay. It's very specific, and that has to do with right before the bill went into effect, they changed the essentially the players who could be in the business. Yeah. It feels like that was a bad idea to me. I'm not talking about legalization or the fact that people aren't going to jail for all the rest of it. Well, I, they uh, added some players to the business. The, what they the did, bigger they, they the made corporations. It so, yeah, they made yeah. it so that Philip Morris could be in the game. Well, or some version of and that. And there's there is a uh, and it drove out all these people who were planning on these mom and pop operations that planned on being part well, of this. Well, it's driving them out. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's driving them out as we speak. Well, yeah. I don't like it either, but maybe they needed that to pass the law. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I get it, but I, I just—I mean, I think people it, complain it, about things all the time, no, but once I'm you not, jump into the game, it's clear. a different world. Let me be clear. I'm happy that they did it. I'm yeah. glad that it happened. I'm, I think there's a lot of benefit to it. They're not getting the tax revenue that they thought they were going to get because there's a black market out there for the reason I think partially for the reason that I just described. They pushed out a lot of mom and pop operations and opened it up to a black market environment. I think if they had done it right, well, they yeah. The black market environment took advantage. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and of course it would. Mm-hmm. Did anyone really think that when this would happen, everybody would just say, okay. I'm done. I'm uh, not going to grow pot anymore for my yeah. for my buddies. Yeah. Right. No, I agree. Of course I it's going to be a, an yeah, illegal yeah, market. Uh, yeah. yeah. But it'd be nice if those people who were, in many ways, the reason why marijuana was, was decriminalized and legalized in California for their many years of dodging the law and making it available so people wouldn't be afraid to vote for legislation legalizing it. Yeah. They were pun- in some way they were left out of the game. I think the problem I have is people saying they really mucked it up. I'm sorry. Like I'm did. sorry I did because well, no, because it's uh, a complicated thing. I know and I should have been and, more specific. And a lot of things in life are complicated okay. and right. people say oh they really mucked it up. No they didn't. They okay. tried. There's a lot of people that do muck it up, yeah. but there are a lot of people okay. who tried. And I think what happened in California with marijuana, yeah, uh, they tried. And that's what they're also trying to do here in Colorado with yeah. natural medicine. And so I'll be clear. I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I agree. I said it the wrong way. I yeah. know it sounded like a sweeping they indictment. They could have done better. Yeah. I, I didn't mean for it to sound like a sweeping that's indictment. That's going to be on my tombstone. Yeah. He could have done better. He could have done better. Yeah. Okay. You floss? Uh, yeah. You when do? It... You floss enough? No. Yeah, see? Uh-uh. From the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences USA newsletter, uh-huh. a new study shows that bunches of fungi and bacteria can work together to walk and leap across the surface of your teeth. Mm. Walk? Yeah. Walk. Spreading decay much faster than either organism alone. Hmm. Fungi and bacteria. In the past, scientists thought bacteria accumulated one by one to Mm -hmm. cause cavities. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. Me too. And I'm not even a scientist. Mm -hmm. Not so. A team of researchers collected saliva samples from toddlers with severe tooth decay and found natural bunches of Streptococcus mutants bacteria and Candida albicans fungi, which were not present in saliva from children with healthier teeth. Okay. Streptococcus. That sounds that's ah, sounds serious. nasty. Yeah, it is. Viewing these masses under a microscope revealed a surprise. Mm-hmm. I'll say. Walking fungi. They were capable of complex motion. Wow. Small bacteria cells cluster around the core of each clump, holding it together, while larger rod-shaped fungal cells grouped together on the outside as moving limbs hmm. that propelled the structure forward as it grew. 
walking bacteria and fungi. That is a frightening, that's a, that's a horror movie right there. I know. Walking fungi. The front limb sometimes appeared to walk or even jump ahead. Can you imagine that? <laughs> oh, I can't. Yeah. If two walking bacteria groups were near each other, they would sometimes reach out in a handshake <laughs> and then merge. What? Yeah. So take care of your teeth. You know that movie Fantastic Voyage where they miniaturize themselves down until, and then they would yeah. try, they would, they had a little submarine that went through your bloodstream? Yeah. I see a horror movie right here. Yeah. What would you just describe? We do right. a Fantastic Voyage and we do The Walking Fungi. Yeah. I mean, Night of the Walking Fungi. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We get like Raquel Welsh and Burt Reynolds in there to fight him. And, Are they uh, alive? I don't know. I think, well, well Bert's I think dead. Bert's dead, but yeah. I think Raquel's still with us. From The Guardian. A fire that broke out in a western dairy plant sent a river of melted butter flowing across the factory floor and into nearby storm drains, where it clogged a historic waterway, a water artery. Mm. Yeah. Clogged it. Butter. Like butter. Yeah. Firefighters tried to enter the burning building, but were deterred due to the heavy smoke and butter runoff. Mm. Yeah. When we first tried to go up the stairs to the part that collapsed, this stuff... The butter was running down like three inches thick on the steps. Mm. On the steps. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not where it was pooling. Yeah. They were trying to go upstairs to pull up, put out the fire, slick. and they were sliding all yeah, over yeah, the place. Yeah. They went with, I, I heard that they went in with a bunch of bread. Yeah. And they, and they were mopping they, it they up. They were just mopping it up. Yeah. <laughs> they were trying to make French toast, and that went awry. This is what uh, the uh, Portage, Wisconsin fire chief said, by the way. Okay. Not the French toast part, but the, but the three inches of butter on the steps. So our guys were up to their knees trying to go up the steps to get to the top, and they're trying to drag the hose line, but the hose line got so full of butter they couldn't hang on to it anymore. Oh that would have been crazy as a firefighter, huh? <laughs> I didn't sign up for this, they were saying. <sighs> Needless to say, none of those firefighters are ordering grilled cheese sandwiches anytime no. soon. Mm -hmm. There's, that's just not going to happen. Uh, would you like some butter, honey? <laughs> ah! That's the end of the marriage. <laughs> it's just running out the door. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And finally, mm -hmm, finally, from BBC News, a New Year's Eve fireworks display had to be canceled at the last minute to protect Thor, a 1,653-pound three-year-old Arctic walrus who made Scarborough, England, his home for the last two months. Everybody just did the right thing, and we can't be grateful enough for it, the British Divers Marine Life Rescue Organization said. It's hugely appreciated that the Scarborough City Council considered Thor's welfare above anything else, and I know it has been massively received across the globe. Nice. Thor who drew huge crowds for his good wit and charm, is now headed out to the North Sea. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.